Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Rose City Politics. It is April the 14th. We have a great episode tonight. Our regular panel tonight includes our left-leaning panelist, Doug Sartori. Doug, how are you doing? Very unhappy uh, with that tag. It's going (laughs) to stick. It's going to stick. We have our resident socialist on the panel, Don Merrifield. Don, how are you? Always happy to be here with my communist friends. <laughs> of course, I'm John Lidke. I'm so happy to have a guest panelist here tonight who you can see on screen. For those of you who can't see on screen, it is Ward 8 Windsor City Councilor Gary Kashak. How are you, Councilor? I'm good, John, and uh, thanks for having me. It's been a while since I've been on Rose City Politics, and it's always an honor to speak uh, speak with the panel and talk about uh, the great city of Windsor and its issues. Uh, especially because uh, appearing on this show uh, means that your your reserve parking spot is now going to be painted over and removed. So we really appreciate you making that sacrifice for the community. Well, I appreciate that, Doug. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> if you are listening right now and you're not a Patreon subscriber, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Rose City Politics. I'm still laughing at that one. That was really good. <laughs> if you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you so much. As was mentioned, we are in BizX Magazine monthly and online at bizxmagazine.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, the MySpace joke. It's getting old. I'll think of something new to sudden. Don likes it enough to give it like a little half nod there, but that's good. We're everywhere you can find us. Like, share, subscribe. Um, We would love for you to interact with us as well on social media. And of course, thank you to Leuna625, Building Better Communities. They make this program possible on a weekly basis. So thank you so much. We have a show to get to tonight. We're going to be talking about traffic calming and residential speed limit reductions. Windsor's vulnerability to automation, a new conference board of Canada index has come out. Mayor Dilkins has a new pitch to the federal government about vaccine distribution. And we're going to be talking about how Windsor police are being mistaken for Windsor police in a situation that's causing both Windsor police a lot of confusion and online backlash. That was a fun one to say quickly, too. But we're going to get right into this traffic calming and residential speed limit reductions. Again, let's say big thanks to Windsor Star and CTV cribbed a lot of this from the them. Following the City of Windsor's Environment, Transportation, and Public Safety Standing Committee's recommendation to Council to adopt a citywide 40-kilometer-an-hour speed in residential areas, the issue will be heading to Council on Monday. If approved, the estimated cost to install new signs is about $750,000. According to a 2017 road safety report, 14% of fatal and serious injury collisions occurred at intersections, while 24% occurred mid-block. While also, according to Windsor-Essex County Health Unit, cause of emergency department visits and mortalities for motor vehicle collisions, there were 145 emergency department visits due to pedestrian injured in collision with car, pickup, truck, or van, and seven mortalities caused by the same. So obviously, you know, it's an issue here. This is why the report from the Environment, Transportation, and Public Safety Standing Committee Um, made the recommendation, although the report did say that research found that reducing speed limits doesn't cause significant changes in operating speeds. So that's where we were. This issue was heading to council on Monday, and we had a Mayor Dilkins news drop to uh, sort of change a bit of the narrative here with a new proposal that came out of left field. Mayor Dilkins is proposing instead of reducing the speed limit, he's pitched a $1 million capital fund to pay for traffic calming measures if approved by a majority of residents, presumably on a block, by a petition. Now, these traffic calling measures, in most cases, speed bumps, cost between three dollars to $5,000 a piece. And councillors, I'm sure that uh, Councillor Kashak here could attest to this, it's the number one complaint that councillors receive from constituents is people driving too 
quickly. The province changed legislation back in 2017 to allow municipalities to change their blanket speed limits. Now, our panelists tonight, Ward 8 Councillor Kashak, commented, I've seen in Hamilton and Toronto where the posted speed limits have gone down from 50 to 40 and 40 to 30, and I've physically seen it slow down. And I've asked residents, and they've said it slowed down. You combine that with speed humps, speed tables, some stop signs, pavement parking, radar feedback signs, maybe some segregated bike lanes and posts. It's going to work. Now, Mayor Dilkins recommends the traffic calming measures rather than reducing the speed limit because he says residents won't follow the law. Um, Ward one city councilor echoed that sentiment as well. And Mayor Dilkins actually points to his previous experience as a councilor when he fought successfully for a speed limit reduction on the streets around Roseland Golf Course a decade ago. These days, the 40 kilometer speed limit is, quote, largely ignored says the mayor of the city of Windsor. So I'm going to go to you right off the bat here, counselor, with this. You're the guest panelist. You're also an elected uh, counselor. So you've got the most insight here on the panel rather than the three of us. You just, you know, just blab our way through the show here on a week by week basis. You say that you've seen the speed limit reductions work and traffic calming measures work. You've even gone so far to speak about segregated bike lanes. So could you please give us your perspective on the matter here? Sure, absolutely. And, and, and I'll just go back uh, to what you said earlier. It probably is the first or second um, uh, topic that, that me as a Ward 8 city councillor and a lot of my council colleagues get uh, in regards to they're going too fast, they're not slowing down, they're going through stop signs, they're rolling stops, uh, they're racing up and down streets, um, you know, and tie that in with, you know, with some of the loud mufflers. So um, it, I raised the council question probably about six months ago that if Windsor decided to reduce residential speed limits from 50 to 40, what would be the implications and what would be the cost? So that's sort of come out now, that council question and the administration report, and it's, you know, being tied in with uh, with traffic calming. So, you know, my oldest son lives in Toronto. He lives in the, the Woodbine uh, Street Danforth area. So uh, I'm, I, you know, used to be up there uh, a couple times a year and, and, and saw how what they've done there with, uh, you know, with some of the narrowing of streets, with a little bit of roundabouts, with speed humps, with speed tables, uh, traffic calming signs, uh, some pavement markings, uh, pavement markers. Uh, I think it's the, the article said pavement parkers, but it's pavement markers, which is which is important. Some segregated um, uh, bike lanes, you know, with a with the plastic poles, and it forces people to slow down. It it, it definitely works. So, in, in a place like uh, like Church Street or Victoria Street or Balfour or, uh, you know, uh, Bartlett or Morand or Ducharme, places like that, it's going to work on those type of streets. Now, some of those streets are a little wider as well than some of the streets in Toronto. You know, Toronto was built with a lot of uh, density. Uh, you know, a lot of these 35 uh, foot lots and pack a lot of houses in and, and narrow streets and whatnot. So, uh, it, it, you know, in Windsor is built a different way. They have We have some of those neighborhoods in Walkerville that uh, are certainly uh, like that with the narrower streets. And then you get out uh, to a couple of the streets I mentioned, you know, in the Ducharme or Moran or Schofield in the in the Ward 9 area that are that are wide and the, the houses are set back and uh, and people will tend to speed uh, you know further down down those type of roads so I think that um, it's doable I, I think though the first step though is to reduce speed limits from 50 to 40 on all residential streets I'm not talking about collector streets or uh, arterial roads but we get down on those and then we work in what the mayor is talking about with some of the effective traffic coming measures. Um, you know, and it's probably about a six prong attack. If you want to do it on, on certain areas, you try a speed hump, speed tables on certain streets some pavement markings, some segregated bike lanes on, on something like Dougal coming out of downtown uh, all the way to Tecumseh road and, and, and see how, and see how those type of things work. Um, and, and I think, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll see some results. What do you take from your council colleagues from the mayor um, saying it won't work because people aren't going to abide by the signage? I guess, you know, more broadly going, you know, we can't trust our residents to follow the law. Um, not looking to get into a back and forth here about the merits of it, but I guess, you know, it just it seems absurd to to suggest at the elected official level, you know, well, no one's going to follow the law. So why even bother? 
Well, yeah, I was a little disappointed in that statement because I, I don't think that, you know, maybe Windsor Heights were given enough credit, uh, you know, to follow to follow the law. Um, you know, it, people do like to, you know, to, to go a little faster. Cars are made a little bit different now. Roads are made a little bit different as well. Um, but I, I think if, you know, it's a mindset sometimes about the 10 over rule. So if, if it's 50 going down Roseland Street, um, people are going to go 60 and feel comfortable with it. But if it's 40 kilometers and they maybe go 50 at the most, then you throw in a couple of uh, traffic calming measures. Um, I, I think people are going to kind of fall in a little bit better. Now, there's, of course, there's the naysayers. There's the people that just want to go from A to B fast. They want to get around town. They want to meet, leave, you know, five to seven minutes later than they should have, like Don. And uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, try to, you know, you know, all kinds of fast measures to get to where they want to go. So, you know, that's that's human nature as well. It's sort of a little bit of the, the you know, the society today that everything happens fast. You get information fast, you get somewhere fast and and, uh, you know, you, you you punch something in a computer and you get an answer fast. So everything is about fast. But uh, I, I think we just need to slow down a little bit in the residential areas. Do you think that it's speaking maybe a bit to different constituencies there in the city? Um, not necessarily just saying, you know, it won't work blanket like across the city writ large, but those concerns that you're saying, you know, trying to get from if you know one end of the city to the other end of the city, it would be far more impacted if it was slower, I guess, along the entire road, I guess. Is that maybe the argument that might be coming forward? I think certain areas of the, of the city, it, sure, it's, uh, it, you know, a couple of those streets I mentioned and, you know, maybe out around uh, some of the South Windsor areas, you know, the streets are wide and, uh, and people do uh, uh, have the opportunity to go a little bit faster. I think getting across Windsor, though, you know, there's five ways to go east west, uh, you know, through Windsor and you can get there in 15 minutes, whether it's County Road 42, uh, you know, the East Road Expressway, Tecumseh Road, Wyandotte or, or Riverside Drive. So those aren't streets that we're really looking at uh, slowing down, although we may want to look at Wyandotte somewhere down the road here as, a, you know, the, uh, uh, the bike lane um, uh, spot that people could go east west and you know and, and feel a little bit safer but um you know north south there's a lot of ways to get around too it's just when you know you get off Dougal and you go down west grand and you make a left down down woodland or academy or rockwell you know guess what everybody's stepping on it uh you know 60 65 kilometers and to me there's no there's no reason to be going uh, that fast um in residential areas with children with schools nearby um, people walking dogs. It's an it's an active society now with people out walking and whatnot. And uh, I, I don't feel that that's uh, the quality of life that most Windsorites want. And and it does it does change a little bit from uh, from different wards different different wards. I'd say for sure, yes. Hey, thanks for that. You know, I find it to be really interesting. I think you know, as I mentioned, I I, re- I just I don't like this idea of well we'll just let the residents ignore the written law because we can't believe them to follow it. That just, it seems like a really weak argument to me, but if someone's trying to serve the needs of their like constituency or their ward, I can, I can understand wanting it to be for that reason. And I, you know, I guess it's sort of like being on the you know, 401, right? Everyone travels at that 117 to 118, but you know, the second you get to 120 above it, I guess it's that sort of mentality of, you know, the, the sign is there, but people will do what they're going to do. So what's the safest way to make it? Um, you know, Doug, I'll bring you in on it. You live in the area that uh, you've talked about on the show before, not really uh, breaking any news here. Uh, you live in the area where the mayor is saying that the speed limits are largely ignored. What do you see on the ground and what's your perspective? Yeah, I, so I was surprised at those comments. Um, I do live on Roseland Drive, and uh, um, I have lived here for 10 years, and I walk this street um, almost every single day. So I have literally walked Roseland Circle thousands of times, and uh, I'm not the only one. Uh, Councilor Kashak mentioned that um, people like to to walk, and uh, this street is very much a shared street. We have no sidewalks on Roseland. Um, and you'll see families, children, people walking dogs, cyclists, as well as vehicles all sharing the road. And I didn't live here before the speed limit was 40 kilometers an hour, um, but there was resident demand uh, for 
the the speed limit to be lowered and i can only see what i what i see now and that's that i live on a pretty quiet street that um where folks are comfortable using the road and sharing the road with motor vehicles my kid walked to school by herself every day lots of kids are uh able to walk themselves to school it's you know so i was really surprised by the mayor's comments because uh, it doesn't match my experience. I think that if if you're asking whether or not a 40 kilometer an hour speed limit works, um, I'm not sure. Uh, but it certainly is, you know, the, the I wouldn't say that that speed limit is ignored here. Um, I think it's it's pretty, um, pretty respected on on this street. Just a couple other things I wanted to um, I wanted to mention here. Uh, I, so I'm I'm broadly in support of of this uh, initiative. I think it's the right thing to do um, when you're you know when you look at the um, the the list of reasons for accidental fatalities in our community and vehicle accidents and people being struck by vehicles. They're near the top of the list. And from what I can see, it's the number one thing that city council has the ability to control roads, um, speed limits. These are things that are um, within city council's control and they can do a lot to have an impact on um, the survivability of incidents with vehicles. So I think it's um, I think it's the right thing to do in anticipation of this show. I took a look at um a few other communities uh, council reports on the same subject. I read the uh, the Windsor administrative report and I wanted to compare it. And um, all of them have a common theme and that there's not a lot of evidence that, that changing speed limits alone will change behavior. So I think um, Councillor Kashak is right on the money there that you, you need to take a layered approach and speed limits aren't a magic bullet, uh, but it certainly is the, you know, the first step. One last thing before I, I uh, hand it off on this topic, and, and that's that uh, I did the math, um, uh, and you can repeat this experiment if you want to check my math, pull up Google Maps, and uh, ask Google Maps to give you a route from the extreme southwest of the city to the extreme northeast of the city. Uh, if you do that, you'll get a distance. And now calculate how long it takes to travel that entire distance at 50 kilometers an hour and how long it takes to travel that entire distance at 40 kilometers an hour. The longest possible trip in the city of Windsor would take six minutes longer at 40 kilometers an hour, assuming you, you were on residential streets the entire way, which is not typically what people do. The point is um, that I'm trying to make is that I think the impact will be trivial on people's travel time. I think that that's a very, very small price for each of us as individual motorists to pay um, for increased safety in our community. Well said, Doug. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Six minutes is unacceptable. I'm sure that Don would agree with that. We're going to bring his voice in. Um, Don, let's be honest. You're just whipping around on your motorcycle at speeds that we can't comprehend. What's your take and what are your questions here? hundred percent. At six minutes, Doug sounds like a quitter to me, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> actually, funny enough, when Gary at uh, Councilor Katchak brought up his son, Danforth and Woodbine, I actually lived at Danforth and Coxwell for a long time. And when those low rise speed bumps in the streets came into effect, I was, you know, I was living there at the time and heard the whole debate. So a few of the questions that were brought up at that time, and I'm not sure if they were brought up at this point is, uh, you know, putting speed bumps in the middle of the roads, a, uh, there's problems with plowing the roads at that point and B also emergency vehicles. So the proposal that Windsor's looking at, are they looking more like the Toronto ones, which are very, they're a lot wider than your normal speed bumps. And they're probably only about, you know, six inches high, but they still can launch you pretty good. Um, not, not really done. The, there is that one on Riverside drive around Lakeview Marina. That's sort of a gradual speed hump. I think they're looking for some of the ones around, you know, those side streets off Danforth around Amroth and Coxwell and, uh, you know, a few of those other streets where you, you better slow down a little better. You're going to have some undercarriage uh, vehicle uh, trouble if you go too fast. So, you know, now that's what we would be, you know, sort of looking at in some of the, you know, the, the certainly the residential streets, but um, you know, the one on Riverside drive is more of a speed table as they call it. So it's not as, uh, not as high and uh, uh, it, it sort of is a little more gradual. So there's less chance of, uh, uh, repairs to vehicles and, and it's easier on the snow plows. You're right. 
Yeah, last year I was driving, riding out to uh, Kingsville. I don't know what was going on in Kingsville, but they actually had put up temporary speed bumps on some of the side streets. And I assume that is probably a solution, you know, for snow plows and things like that. Uh, is that something that, you know, Windsor may be looking at? It's been discussed. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're durable for, uh, not, you know, not as long as a properly built uh, speed hump, but uh, you could take them out in the wintertime and make it a little bit easier on, uh, on streets with buses or, you know, some of the heavy snowplow streets, uh, like a street like myself. I live on Clemenceau Street in Ward 8. Um, it's sort of a cut through street. It's between Jefferson and Rivard. Uh, so people like to get to the back of Fountain Blue without going down Rivard and four stop signs and police presence and 40 kilometers in force. So they cut through here and then the bus goes down here as well. So that would be, uh, um, you know, what they would look at those type of uh, speed humps to this area where they can take them out in the wintertime and, uh, and do the snowplow work. It's a little more maintenance, though, of course, for the city to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was another thing that had been brought up years ago and it was more by the residents. So I live downtown. I live, you know, Victoria church, that area. And, uh, th- at some point in history, and this was probably before I was around, they had converted all these to one way streets, uh, would converting them back to two way streets, slow traffic down significantly. Well, you know, absolutely. It would for sure. Because, you know, you've got, you've got traffic going both ways, um, you know, and, and probably cars parked on one side of the road. So when that happens, it, it, it forces a slowdown for sure. Yeah. You, you know, you're right. Some of the downtown streets are, are the one ways. And, uh, you know, that's the complaint in Hamilton, eh? that uh, if you're going uh, east on King Street, it's, it's, it's a one way speedway and you're going west on Queen Street, you know, coming the other way, uh, you know, towards the 401. So uh, they're, they're even talking about changing that there as well. And then that's on, a, you know, arterial and collector roads that they like to slow that stuff down. But, you know, that's a good that's a good point as well. And, uh, you know, I don't think we, we ever really mentioned the enforcement word yet either that, uh, you know, we certainly something that we'd like to talk to the police a little bit more about is, is something Thing, uh, to do with residential enforcement they are out from time to time um, in certain areas I've had them I've seen them near my house and, and a couple of times and I'm out uh, in, the, in, the, in the ward uh, I'd like to get you know a little bit more obviously um, you know enforcement of that type of a stuff versus versus you know sitting and maybe you know and I know you got to do sit on the middle of EC row every so often and catch the guys going you know 130 and 140 but um, just maybe a little more of that uh, um, back to the neighborhood, some boots on the ground, some some unmarked cars, a couple, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, uh, you know, a radar signs set up and, and go from there. And, and I mean, you know, you probably know the talk of, uh, you know, the city looking at red light cameras here, here moving forward. Um, they picked out about 10 intersections, which, you know, that's that's going to be interesting how which 10 they pick. But I, I think there's, uh, you know, that's another issue where people are really, really speeding up to go through red lights. I'm not a big, big supporter of the uh, automated speed enforcement, but uh, you know, we'll see where, we'll see where that discussion moves uh, with council. And I think that might come into play a little bit on Monday as, uh, as a potential alternative, uh, you know, that the mayor, uh, you know, sort of through the, through the law ball out there of, uh, you know, looking at something different. Yeah. So talking about the mayor's pitch of this $1 million capital fund. I'm not sure if it's a one-time fund or if it's one that would be, I guess, you know, topped up every now and then as it needs to be. Didn't explain that, but I guess, you know, counselor, it felt a lot like me to me, like this has a lot of remnants of what feels like the enhanced capital budget. And, you know, I've got a lot of misgivings about how that process worked, but putting that aside, you know, at least it was the elected representative who was the one who was deciding on behalf of the constituents, we live in a representative democracy. It's how it's all done. In in that, though, it removed city administration from the decision making, but presumably their input was still available from you as the counselor if you wanted to go find out whether or not it was a good decision to do something or not. Whereas in this case, it removes administration, it removes the counselor, and it would put it firmly in the hands of the residents. And now I get, you know, let's say 70% on a petition. That's a pretty high bar to meet, but we still have to figure out, is that on a block by block basis? How would that work? But what do you think about, you know, this decentralized model of, you know, giving it to the citizens to deal with on their own terms? Or do you think, is that just a red herring? Do you think that you'll ever be able to actually get a plurality that would be required to actually implement this? Well, that's a good question. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's something that when you, 
you, when you get some people to complain sometimes, but then when you ask them to do a little bit of something about it, they don't. Hey, they sort of uh, uh, say, well, you know, counselor, we thought you'd take care of it or, or you know, get a hold of the police and, and, you know, get them to take care of. So I think that's part of um, the concern that I have with that. Um, and I'll tell you from a personal standpoint, I have one block in my ward that is in badly in need of um, road reconstruction, but it needed to go through the local um, improvement um, method policy where you needed 70% petition. Uh, so two residents have done this in the last 10 years. Um, and I was told when I'm campaigning and since elected, and uh, they pretty much give up on it. Uh, they, they run into some problems with uh, residents. They, I think they heard no a few too many times and, uh, and, and let it go by the wayside. So, you know, in talking with uh, with some of these residents, I said, well, how about if how about if I do that with one of you? I'll go to every every door in that block with you, and um, let's see what we can do. So, I, I did have uh, one lady give me a pretty good effort. She probably went to about seventy percent of the houses with me, but I I went to one hundred percent of the houses. Told them who I was. Uh, told them that I'd like to get this street uh, road reconstructed, but we need to have a petition in play. And uh, at the end of the day, it, it it took it took me quite some time, but I did get seventy percent to to sign the petition. Um, you know that was sometimes three and four times to people's homes, uh, knocking on doors, you know, and, and different things. And this is even, this was before pandemic, so it was even a little bit easier to for people to answer the door. So it's it's tough when um, you 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 kind of put it back in people's laps. I'm a little concerned now. A counselor like myself, who you know uh, doesn't uh, you know works pretty much as a full time counselor, uh, has a little more time to do that. I think I could make that happen on on some streets um, and and get some of those petitions signed. But you know, some of the counselors that have day jobs and younger children and stuff like that, that's going to be pretty tough for them to do. So that's that's why I'm concerned about that uh, that pitch going back that way. Um, I think I'd like to see, as Doug said, uh, that it go to forty first, and then let's enhance some of the. Uh, uh, traffic calming measures in there. And, you know, and a couple of things that we haven't spoke about uh, as well that they're finding that effective is, is more roundabouts, you know, in, in certain areas um, and chicanes, which, you know, you don't see too much in, uh, in uh, Ontario, Windsor, obviously, or in Ontario, but a big, you know, big thing in Europe that slows, uh, you know, slows a lot of traffic down and, uh, you know, it would certainly be an interesting, uh, you know, way to go as well moving forward. So, you know, I got a I got a good article here that you know uh, the administration, uh, you know, didn't didn't really refer to speeds too much, and I, and I apologize. I, I'm gonna have to just read it off my phone here, but it's it's from a magazine called Municipal World, and um, I think Doug's familiar with it, uh, the August of 2020 edition, and it talks about um, uh, reducing speeds, and it says a pedestrian struck by a vehicle traveling at 32 kilometers an hour, 20 miles per hour, has a 95% survival rate. Uh, vehicles traveling at 48 kilometers per hour, 30 miles per hour, result in a 45% pedestrian fatality rate, while vehicles traveling at 64 kilometers, 40 miles per hour, have an 85% fatality rate. Clearly, speeds make a huge difference for all involved, particularly if you happen to be the pedestrian. So, that's that's based on um, on a you know a, a traffic specialist, a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Wes Guckert out of the United States, and uh, you know it's in the magazine that uh, each and every councillor and the mayor and and likely administration gets each month. So that's pretty telling uh, stat there that uh, you know reducing speeds um, uh, certainly can work. And there's another article as well, and I and I. I, I try to forward it to you. I should have forwarded it to you before the meeting also in the CAA magazine uh, about speed limits. And, uh, you know, uh, at the, it used to be about moving traffic and, and around the city efficiently and fast, but that's changed. Uh, you, you, you know that it's an active world now. It's, a, it's people getting out and it's now more air on the caution of safety. And, and maybe go back to the example Doug did, where it might take you six minutes longer to cross the whole city, but that's funny because we, we made it safe. And a lot of us counselors like this Vision Zero, uh, you know, endeavor that's, um, that's out there as well. Uh, you know, Counselor Holt started uh, with that. And, and, and the more I read into it and the more I listened to him and a couple of the, uh, the other counselors, I, I think that's the way to go. And, uh, you know, if you could get them some type of Vision Zero, I think that's, that's, uh, there's certainly some workability in that. Uh, cities like Edmonton have uh, gone to 40 kilometers all the way through their um, residential areas. Uh, Hamilton, Toronto, Toronto even has some 30s. I, you know, I've got some pictures of 30s in the East York area. 
uh, you know, with speed humps. So it's effective. It just depends how much money you want to, uh, you want to spend at it. But, uh, you know, Doug is right. The, the city council has the ability to, to make a difference in this matter. You know, it's interesting, the statistic that you had brought up there about, you know, obviously as, as speeds increase, the rate of mortality increases with it. Um, and, you know, I guess you look back to what the report from the uh, Environment and Transportation Committee said that there's no evidence that lowering speeds will lower the speeds. But I suppose say that to someone who has just lost someone by a vehicle collision where it was due to a higher speed. And I would imagine that, you know, simply doing anything would probably be a great place to start rather than having this continual debate. We would all love to have that idealized city that has every amenity that there is that's perfect, but that takes money and it takes time to get there. But there are very practical ways that we can go about it right now. Doug, you know, again, you're you're the resident person who lives in the area there. I want your take. You're going to be, you know, dealing with these petitions now. Who knows how often if this goes through, what's your take on the petition process? Are you like me and looking at this just in a bit of a weird way, or am I offside here from the panel? Oh, I, I think you're right on that. It's a red herring. Um, go and look at the municipal election results for any recent year that you want. 2018, 2014, doesn't matter. And, and look at how many polls attained 50% turnout. Very, very few polls in this city attained 50% turnout. Um, the point of that is that, um, and you heard Councillor Kashak describe the level of effort that it takes to reach these thresholds. It takes organizing and groundwork. Um, you, you know, a councillor can do that, and a councillor with time and energy who cares about the issue can do that. But asking an average resident to go to that level of effort in order to get some traffic coming on their street is not reasonable. So, uh, you know, I think that it really would make this fund ineffective to set those kind of thresholds for petitions. And, and I kind of agree with some of your earlier thoughts, John, you know, I do think that it is a bit of um, an abdication, abdication of responsibility. There is, uh, obviously, I think there's a huge place for consulting the public and finding out what the public thinks and for public and the public engaging in uh, municipal politics and in municipal affairs. But it's quite a different thing when you're going to paralyze yourself unless every single person or 70% of the people in a neighborhood get off the couch to sign a petition. Uh, I just don't see it happening. Don, I'll get your voice in on this before uh, we'll ask the councillor how he thinks Monday's vote will go and then move on to the next segment. Well, I don't uh, actually I don't disagree with you guys. It does seem to me like, you know, why this why throw this back at at the neighborhoods? to Yeah, you know. but you were just gone, though, for like two and a half minutes. So where did you go and how fast did you get there? I made it all the way to the east side. I'm in Riverside now. It's fascinating. <laughs> uh, you know, and the good thing with those speed bumps, if you if you make them low enough rise, I can launch my motorcycle and take two at a time. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think what Doug said is right. I don't think throwing this back on the citizens and saying, well, if you want it, come and get it. Uh, again, I was gone for two and a half minutes. So if I re, you know, go over anything that you guys said, I'm sorry. But I, I do agree that just, you know, I think lowering the speed limits, is an effective way to slow things down. But I think that people who are speeding are going to speed anyway. Uh, so I don't think it stops the people who are breaking the law from not breaking the law now. I don't think that's going to change things. So that's why I think more important than, you know, if you're not going to have enforcement, and I'm not a fan of red light cameras because I'll go broke. Uh, the reality is I think you have to put the traffic calming measures in. I think the low-rise speed bumps that they had in Toronto when I was there were very effective. Uh, even the ones out in Kingsville, they were very abrupt. It was more like hitting a wall. Uh, and they were a little bit harder to see. So that may, you know, be a little bit more dangerous for some people, but uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a good idea. And, uh, but I do think, I think they should just look at the city and, you know, I live downtown, like I'd mentioned earlier and, you know, I'm on a one-way street and a bus route and, you know, it's basically a racetrack through here as much as I joke about going super fast on my motorcycle. I really don't, uh, you know, we have the opposite of speed bumps. We have potholes everywhere. So you can't go that fast on our street. Uh, so I think it's a good thing. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to see the city just look at the most, you know, the most troubled areas and just, you know, don't wait for residents to act, just act on yourselves. And I, you know, I go back to a point, a question I brought up to Councillor Kachak that I'm going to reiterate. I do think if a lot of these streets downtown were changed to two way streets, that would be the biggest difference you can make, uh, to slowing traffic down around here. 
John, or sorry, Don, um, I think you've got a great idea here. This is a huge rebranding opportunity for the city. Forget potholes. Those are naturally occurring 100%. reverse speed bumps. No, I know. It's, it's fantastic, man. It's not a bad idea. It's all marketing. It's all marketing. Now, Councillor, the vote's going to be happening on Monday. How do you see this playing out? What Do you think that we're just going to end up with the million dollars here for the petition fund? Not to call it a petition fund, but that's a pretty fun way to put it. Um, or do you think that we're going to see maybe some kind of a hybrid between the two, maybe a pilot project on some streets? We know that the uh, the committee at the committee level, it was supposed to be just a one-year pilot project, but that was scrapped just to go forward with the entire recommendation. So do you think that there might be any curveballs here or is uh, is the writing in stone? Well, no, no, it, it's going to be close. And I know, you know, Councillor McKenzie predicted a 6-5 uh, vote. And uh, I think that might have been the way it was going to go until the mayor, uh, you know, come in with this uh, with this new potential path. Um, you know, there's a couple councillors I think are on the fence, to be honest with you on this. I think they they want to go this way, but uh, I think they're looking at, you know, a debate. It was a, it was well debated at the standing committee, 3-2. Uh, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think what I'd like to see is a mix of uh, we do go to 40 all the way through. And then we, we do, um, you know, move some of these traffic calming meth- methods forward. Uh, whether it's through petitions, because uh, like I said, that's a tough go. Uh, or, you know, maybe do we give uh, each councillor a, a traffic calming budget of maybe, you know, 20000 or 25000 a year and say, all right, councillor, go ahead. If you want to put some some speed humps in on, uh, you know, on York Street, uh, you know, from Tecumseh to, to um, you know, to Giles or Erie, and, and that's your, your test street and see how it works for a couple of years and go from there. Or or I like permanent radar signs. You see them in Toronto. You know, Don probably saw them, you know, coming off Lakeshore and up uh, Woodbine as you go towards Danforth. It's telling you all the time. And it's not the trailer that, you know, it was out for a week and moved somewhere else. It's telling you all the time that, uh, you know, you're going, um, you know, you're going 46 or 42 or, or, or you know, 71. So it's those are uh, just incentives for people like Don. Well, yeah, there are there are some people that say, geez, I thought I could go faster than that. Right. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 something that, uh, um, you know, I think it's a lot of times it's mental. Oh, I didn't realize it's going that fast or, you know, or I think I better slow down. And uh, but I think it's it's this this active world that we live in. We've got so many people out and and it's and it's, you know, it's quantified even more in the pandemic here. We're asking people to get outside, to do more, to, to go outside. You can't do this. You can't do that. So they're walking, they're walking dogs and so on and so forth. So let's slow traffic down. There's there's no need to, uh, you know, to go fast in a lot of these residential areas. Um, some of the streets are perfect to slow down. Uh, some are going to be a challenge, as I said, uh, those big, wide, uh, wide sweeping streets. And, you know, that's something that we as uh, we as council and, and, and the planning department and building department and developers have to look at moving forward down the road to, you know, to maybe uh, not have these big, wide streets as much. And I mean, I think it's going to go that way with density and, and smaller uh, subdivisions. But, uh, you know, the days of building, uh, you know, some of the streets, uh, uh, that I mentioned before, Roseland, Moran, Ducharme, Schofield, uh, Wallace that are, you know, very wide and, and, and tend to be uh, potential racetracks. I think uh, it might be over with. If I can give you a little bit of advice, not that you need my advice, I would avoid anything Councillor McKenzie says. We've known him for a long time. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm not even sure he actually got elected. It's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're not even going to humor that <laughs> conversation it, right now. Moving on. Thanks, Don. We needed some uh, some comic relief there. Thank you. <laughs> well, Councillor Kashak, thank you so much for pitching that uh, topic there. We had a really good conversation back and forth. Went a little longer than I think we expected, but what is better than having a back and forth like that with an elected representative? I can't think of much. So well, thank you. you. And I appreciate that. And it's, you know, it's, it's something that I'm passionate about. I mean, I know it's going to, you know, probably cost me some votes even down the road because I think there's some people that, uh, that want that and, and some that don't, but uh, I'm passionate about it. And I think it's a better, it's a better way for Windsor to move forward and I'm willing to do it. Now, thank you. So let's, we're going to get on to the next segment here, assessing Windsor's vulnerability to automation. How will the labor force in Windsor fare in the future? Windsor currently has the highest share of workers and high-risk, low-mobility occupations than any other city in Canada. 
This is how the Conference Board of Canada's Automation Vulnerability Index begins its section on Windsor, Ontario. The Automation Vulnerability Index tracks occupational vulnerability and workforce resiliency to improve an understanding of Canada's unique skills training needs. The authors report Windsor has the highest share of workers in high-risk, low-mobility occupations among any city in the country, 32% higher than the national average. This is one of the key reasons why the region has one of the fifth highest AVI scores in the country. Windsor also has a fairly concentrated employment mix with 60% of its workers employed by the region's top five sectors. Now, this report and its data does suggest some policy considerations to aid people to transition into what they say is less automation susceptible occupations. Other key reasons for Windsor's vulnerability include economic transition costs, 9.2% higher than the national average. The regional share of workers with a high school diploma or less, 2.5% higher than the national average. And the share of the labor force in slow-growing occupations, 2.9% points higher than the national average. So, Councillor, again, I'm going to bring you in right off the bat on this, off the bat, excuse me. How big of a risk do you think that automation is to our local economy? We're having this conversation here about automation, about you know diversification. What's your perspective on what the risks are of automation? Well, for sure, you, you know those those stats are telling, uh, John. There's there's no doubt, and and we know that uh, as we move towards uh, diversification in the automobile industry, that technology and uh, battery electric vehicles. Uh, you know, you can probably build one with with fifty percent less less uh, staff, and you're going to throw some, um, you know, some technology robots and less people in there. So, we do certainly need um, the Windsor Works and the diversification thing even more so now. I think we still need to focus on uh, automobility and uh, you know and, and moving forward. And you know, uh, we're, we're we're putting the Windsor Economic Development Commission to work here to try to find. Uh, more more work for us. Um, we'd certainly like to get into the battery electric field. I mean, you know, the the um, it was nice to see that General Motors and Chrysler's and Fords have all bought in that uh, they would uh, you know build battery electric vehicles in Canada. So let's uh, let's use the uh, you know the former uh, uh, auto capital of Canada as the automobility uh, capital of Canada and get uh, uh, these type of these type of jobs. And, uh, you know, the spinoff jobs and the parts and the, and the various other things that they can create. But uh, certainly, you know, we would certainly like to, you know, meld out of manufacturing. And, and I always talk about uh, IT and, and Doug and I have talked about this before, but more of an, uh, you know, an IT presence in Windsor. Uh, certainly healthcare, if we can, you know, get this hospital built and maybe a medical school in Windsor and also some other uh, specialized uh, medical care in Windsor, I think it would be great. And uh, and, and, and certainly the, um, you know, the, uh, the education uh, uh, factor as well, and, you know, some more research and development and maybe, uh, you know, a few more things at that level as well. So, yeah, concerned it, uh, you know, it, it, it could certainly um, hamper Windsor's um, unemployment rate moving forward here. You know, the economic transition cost means that people are less likely to transition out of jobs that are at risk in the medium to long term because of the immediate personal cost. And the report authors suggest subsidies for retraining or potentially even pay top ups to mitigate this transition cost. Do you think that that's a strategy that could work here in our region? And, you know, how do you how would you go maybe fighting for that if so? Well, sure. I mean, you're going to need senior levels of government to, you know, to get behind this as well. And uh, uh, I, I think that that certainly could be uh, the way to go. I mean, uh, you know, the uh, what we're, what's happening with St. Clair College and the trade school and, and the way that's growing, there's there's uh, there's reams of opportunity there for, uh, uh, you know, on the tech side. And, and certainly the University of Windsor's got room to get, uh, you know, bigger and expand the engineering school and, uh, you know, various other things. Uh, more, you know, scientists and battery, battery type engineers uh, w- would certainly be important. But yeah, I, I mean, you got a couple elections coming up here, I think with, uh, uh, you know, uh, the federal maybe sooner than later and the, uh, you know, Ontario election in June of 2022. And that'll be interesting to see how they, uh, they lay that out uh, moving forward, uh, you know, a, a job strategy uh, for us and maybe some subsidies, as you say, John. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. If there were a time for it, Lord knows, you know, during a pandemic when federal funds are flowing, 
this is the argument that I took in our last BizX article, just saying, how do we position ourselves forward? You know, take advantage of the money that will flow. Make sure that you have applications to put forward when those opportunities come. The reason that we have a festival site the way that it is and the retention pond as it is right there was because of the last recession that we had, quite frankly, and how nimble the city was in getting the applications. And Doug, I want to bring you in. I'm sure you've got some questions for the councillor and some thoughts on the matter. Lord knows it's your wheel well. Yeah, sure. So uh, I thought that this this report um, adds a really important wrinkle to the debate, uh, talking about some of the reasons why um, people are so sticky in occupations that they're in, um, high paying jobs that may have uh, be at high risk of automation or um, or may not have a long term bright prospects in the future, but when it's hard for you to get out of it because it's going to cost you so much money immediately. And I think it's kind of interesting because that's a parallel to the position that Windsor finds itself in. You know, I, I was listening to Councillor Kashak and um, make, make his comments here. And, and I, I think um, we, we are so deep in to the manufacturing sector that that's where all of our expertise is. That's where our entrepreneurs are. Um, that's where our connections and our understanding is. And to some extent, I think we're obligated to take uh, a strategy of building on the auto sector in order to diversify, whether it's a good idea or not. I happen to think it's not the best idea, um, but I think we're kind of obligated to do that because of where we're starting from. Um, my concern is that there are some things identified in this report, and I think touched on lightly in Windsor Works as well, that, um, that are really hard to change. Relatively low educational attainment in the city of Windsor. Um, not, not because Windsorites are dumb or Windsorites don't value education, but because so many of our educated uh, young people choose to leave the community for brighter opportunities. So you know, I think there's a lot of real challenges here, and it's really hard to see um, how we're going to grapple with them. Um, hopefully, uh, making some investments in technology will help. But um, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, Councillor Kashak, um, in 2005, the Windsor CMA was one of the top 10 regions in Canada in terms of household income. By 2015, uh, we had fallen to 25th out of 36. And uh, my view is that um, our focus on a handful of industries and the, and the particular place um, where those industries sit in terms of the, the life cycle of an industry from growth to stagnation to decline, I think that's got a lot to do with it. Um, what do you think? is the reason that uh, incomes in Windsor have declined so precipitously? Well, you know, that's, that's a good, good question, Doug. And, and I don't know if I have the answer for that one because it's uh, we, we, you know, we have put our eggs uh, in, in one basket for the most part in manufacturring and uh, uh, you know, it, you know, Windsor has been looking to diversify for a long time and it's been a struggle. Um, it's certainly um these new, um, you know, auto jobs and parts jobs that there seems to be a lot of jobs, but a lot of people aren't really making that twenty-two fifty an hour and, and twenty-four bucks an hour. Those those days of the thirty-five dollar an hour jobs don't seem to be there as much. And I don't know if that was a, a trade-off uh, to keep some of these uh, these factories, you know, uh, the Chrysler's in Windsor and whatnot, uh, you know, moving forward, and thus it's caused you know the the, the wages to go down. Um, you know, there's a little more of a service industry in Windsor as well, too, uh, when the job manufacturing jobs went down and those don't pay quite as well. So I think it has hurt the median uh, average on on income for sure. And, you know, and thus the need for diversification. Uh, you know, I know that you've got some some great ideas in the in the tech world and different things like that. And and I mean, I'll put it back to you. What, what do you think of some of the stuff that Rocket Mortgage and some of that uh, group is doing down on Chatham Street with, uh, you know, uh, info technology going back and forth across the river? Is there is there is there a room for expansion on that? Is that something Windsor could uh, uh, can run with? I'm I'm glad you asked. It's pretty rare. We have a guest ask me a question, uh, but I really appreciate that. Uh, so I think that the um, 
trying to to find a way to integrate with Detroit in tech the way that we have integrated with the auto industry is the natural play. Um, it's the right play. Uh, and it's great to see companies like Rocket coming to Windsor. Um, I think that they're my my perception, and I haven't talked to those folks directly. I've only kind of heard things and talked to people who talk to them, that type of thing. But my impression is that um, there are some stuff, there's some stuff that could be done that would make the impact bigger. Um, I think that when you come to a city like Windsor, and I know the tech sector here pretty intimately, I've worked in it for a long, long time. Um, you have to have a strategy to approach Windsor's workforce. You have to have a strategy to approach this market. There is a lot of talent here. Um, there's a lot of tech talent here, and there's a lot of an, a big supply of tech talent in terms of the folks who graduate every single year. Um, but if you take the, um, the things that work in Detroit or the things that work in other cities in the U.S. in terms of recruitment, um, you're going to struggle a little bit because Windsor has some unique features in terms of its workforce. So, uh, you know, I think that it's terrific that we've, we're seeing that happening. And I think that if, if I were the king of the Economic Development Corporation, I would be doing everything I could to build those cross-border relationships and uh, make sure that the folks in Detroit who work in the tech sector see the same kind of advantages in having a cross-border workforce that the auto industry does. Well said. And, 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 you know, we, I'd sort of understood that to some degree as well, too. And I think that was sort of the, the goal originally of a fellow like Dan Gilbert to, to, you know, to do that because there was the, the immigration problem of people, you know, coming back and forth across the border and, you know, in the previous, uh, uh, U.S. federal administration, especially. So that's, you know, that was to get on board. And I, I mean, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, we have the Paul Martin building downtown that the city of Windsor owns that's got, uh, you know, five empty floors there that uh, we, we're certainly looking for somebody to come in that building in a, in a tech type thing. And uh, maybe that's where, where Weedsy needs to, to, you know, to look a little or, or dig a little deeper, uh, you know, as you had said. And um, I, I think that's, that's really the way to go somewhere more on that uh, and that IT thing. I mean, we're, we're going to push on manufacturing because uh, of battery electric and, you know, it's going to happen at, uh, at these plants in Ontario, but um, we, we, we've got to diversify more. And I, and I, I like the Windsor works report. I thought the integration with Detroit, I mean, it's always been a natural fit and it's, it's sort of been the, you know, the obvious thing, but uh, doing it more is, is certainly a way, uh, way forward. I think. Yes. Okay, I want to I want to keep you on that one, Counselor. You know, you you like the report. You've been talking here about you know the work that Weedsy's been doing, you know, with it. But you know, given how much risk is created by this sector, do you think that so much attention should still be paid to it? Is is that not itself a risk of continuing to put all of our eggs in one basket? Uh, you know, I think it goes back to what Doug said earlier. It's it's the thing that we know. It's it's you know that's where a lot of the expertise, that's where a lot of the uh, uh, you know the knowledge is in in auto engineering and you know the the things that facet around it. So it's um, you know would would we love to be like Kitchener Waterloo and be you know real techie? Sure. Would we like to be like London, a little more medically and a little more corporate head office? Sure. Would we like a you know, a company like Slack or Salesforce or Soft Choice to be based in Windsor? Absolutely. But how exactly do we get that to happen is, is, is the question that a lot of counselors like myself ask. And, and how can we move that forward? And uh, it, may, it may change now a little bit in the pandemic with, uh, you know, people working from home and they realize that, you know, you don't have to be uh, working on Bay Street or King Street or, uh, you know, Bloor Street in Toronto, that you can do that from other locations. So why not set up in a place like, uh, you know, Windsor, uh, Windsor Essex for sure. So then, you know, what are some of those next steps that the Windsor Works report should see followed through from it? Um, what are you hearing? What, what's the stitch on the inside? Break some news here on Rose City Politics for us. You know, it's, it's been quiet. It's been quiet for the last little bit. Um, you know, there was some in-camera uh, topics recently that, you know, as you know, I can't uh, discuss, but uh, there, there's some, there's some movement on some, on some files here. Uh, we're just, uh, you know, waiting to uh, hopefully, you know, uh, see, see this come to fruition on a part of this uh, Windsor, Windsor Works uh, report. So, 
Uh, nothing that I can say at a, at a high level, but um, uh, really excited after meeting with the new CAO from Windsor, Jason Raynar, who uh, um, comes in with, uh, you know, some, some enthusiasm and uh, from the greater Toronto area. And uh, I think he's got some good, uh, good ideas and maybe some good vision that, uh, that we can use moving forward. I'm certainly going to miss uh, outgoing CAO Honorio Colucci, just, um, you know, uh, a whirlwind of knowledge and, and experience and just such a fine gentleman as well. So uh, I like, I like the direction here moving forward though, that, uh, uh, you know, with some, with some young mind and some maybe some different way uh, of thinking moving forward. Okay. Um, I just wanted to, to come in since we're talking about weed C um, and we've got you on the show. I want to ask you this uh, council Kashak and um Last year, uh, the Economic Development Corporation spent close to $300,000 to promote um, the advancing the hospital to stage two. Uh, and I want to get your thoughts on that. Do you think that that was an appropriate use of um, economic development resources? Is that how you'd like to see those resources prioritized? Well, not normally. No, no. That, you know, I, I, you know, that was brought up quite well by Councillor Bordelin at the at the budget talks. And, and you know, quite frankly, he worked over uh, Mr. McKenzie uh, pretty heavily on that. And uh, um, it was a bit eye opening to, uh, you know, I, I knew, you know, um, the, the dollars that were involved and whatnot, but it was eye opening, I think, to the rest of Windsor rights and whatnot. So I don't think that's the focus that I'd like to see we'd see moving forward. I think that's a very important uh, was a very important uh, topic, of course, and, you know, position, and I've always been for, uh, you know, a new hospital in Windsor. Uh, should that have been uh, Wheatsey's main focus? No, probably not. They probably should be looking for that diversification and that new big, uh, that new big plant or that new big uh, industry that Windsor, uh, Windsor can move forward on. Hey, well, thanks for your perspective on that, Councillor. You know, we had, we had two other topics that we wanted to get to, but as is uh, what usually happens on this show, we end up having a really good time and we spend about a half hour, 35 minutes on one topic and we give the remainder to the second one. And we wish that it was a two hour program. Now it could be a two hour program. If you Patreons would go tell some of your friends to sign up patreon.com forward slash Rose city politics, but counselor Kashak, I will leave it with you right now. You know, we talked about two issues here, whether it be the traffic calming or whether it be the automation. So any last thoughts about both or, you know, the floor is yours before I do the final wrap up. No, you know, it's, it's, it's great to talk about those type of things. And, um, you know, I'm always, uh, the, the mind is always turning with me. I'm always thinking of ways that we can improve Windsor, my, not just my ward. I'm a big Windsor guy. I, you know, I worked downtown in the Paul Martin building for many, many years and then, uh, you know, worked for the border and I was downtown uh, four out of five days a week. So I, I'd love to see that, that, that come back. Um, I like, I like the direction that it's going right now with a lot of development, with a lot of community improvement plans. I love what's happening on Blisher street. I was uh, there yesterday at SIDS and got a sandwich and had a good look around the hive and the Chelsea and uh, the, you know, the former bar area that's all, uh, you know, under, uh, uh, you know, renovations and whatnot. And um, very excited with what uh, what's going to happen on OLED and some of the others on university and the Grace Hospital. Uh, looking for a proposal here, you know, at the University and Karen site here uh, moving forward. There, there might be some something brewing there as well. So, you know, I like I like uh, where it's going here in the city. I think it's it's positive. Um, we just we just need to keep grinding here and, uh, you know, and to keep moving forward here and uh, um, enjoying my job and, uh, and, and doing uh, the best we can, I think, for Windsor at this time. Absolutely. You know, I like that note to leave it on. I've been a downtown resident for the majority of my life, and it's astounding just to walk the streets and see how different things are going to look in such a short period of time from the development on OLED Avenue, the Valente one to the ones that you had just listed. I mean, when we emerge from COVID and everything is fully up and going and, you know, those dates are, you know, shifting here or there based on vaccination. But I think for sure by next year, when people, you know, get back to the swing of what normalcy looks like, downtown's going to look like a very different place with far more residents, which will bring with it, you know, more businesses, more cafes, more restaurants and all of that. So, you know, hopefully that'll bring, you know, more opportunities in the business sector as well. But counselor, thanks so much for spending your time this evening with us. It's so appreciated. 
Well, thanks very much. Uh, nice, nice to be back on Rose City Politics and uh, bring me up anytime if you'd like me to come back. I always like, uh, I always like to talk about Windsor and, uh, and, uh, and quality of life. Absolutely. Hopefully next time we're able to share a pint after the show. That yes, would that would be, be good. Yeah, that, for sure. Yes, that's, yeah. that's the dream. Our regular panelists tonight, panel tonight included our left-leaning panelist, Doug Sartori, our resident socialist, Don Merrifield, and right here to the, the right of them both in the dead center would be me, John Lidke. We had Ward 8 City Councilor Gary Kashak join us tonight. Please, Patreon subscribers, keep it up. Tell your friends. We're at patreon.com forward slash Rose City Politics. BizX Magazine every month, bizxmagazine.com. We're on social. Like, share, and subscribe, please. And of course, kind thanks to Leuna625, Building Better Communities. This is a show, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>